Hey, um, it's just another boring week, huh? <laughs> Nothing happening this week. Anybody just have a boring, uneventful week? Let's see. Hey, you know, tensions have been running high. Um, you know, as a county, we've been concerned about COVID, right? Um, some of you um, really just struggling or some of you concerned about people's mental, physical health, right? Um, people's livelihoods. And then there was an election, I think, too, wasn't there? There was an election this week. Tensions have been running high, right? And so I think it, it, is, it is normal to have some sense of stress and anxiety. And I just want to share what I wrote on my uh, um, personal Facebook page today, because I think it expresses kind of the heart of um, as we move into this season, um, wherever God takes us as a nation, right? Um, here's what I wrote, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just wanted to read this for you. The networks project a race. Meanwhile, the president's campaign press conference presents their evidence for the legal cases about to unfold. Recounts loom. Much of the country celebrates. Much of the country still questions. Ultimately, it will be concluded after courts rule on pending cases, state certify results, and the official process plays out. And so whether you are celebrating right now or mourning, let's be in continued fervent prayer for our divided nation. My prayer is for God's grace, truth, and light to be over our nation during the coming weeks and that the vast majority of Americans would ultimately have confidence that the process produced the just result. Meanwhile, I pray that all Christians would trust God and speak in a gracious way that reflects positively on Jesus. I pray for many to trust in Jesus. As Christians, our hope and trust is in God, not in politicians. We will pray for and bless our leaders and go forward with hope and joy in our Savior. I pray for a healing of the incredible division that separates our nation, something that only God can accomplish. God is good, and he is in control. Our hope and our destiny is in his kingdom, and we join our Lord in praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Now, I imagine the next few weeks could be a little interesting in this nation. And I would just say, in, in light of this, it's normal to feel anxious it's normal to be concerned. Um, for some, depending, I mean, you know, I know our community and the makeup of our community, there's, there's probably quite a few more people who are sad, disappointed, anxious um, than the other way, and that's, that's just the, the community we live in, right? Um, I have some things I'm sad and grieved over, right? I'm grieved that 60-plus that percent of our state voted against ending late-term abortion. That grieves me. Um, I'm kind of upset that a bunch of people in Denver decided we need wolves in our hills. Just honestly, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm worried for my rancher friends and, and those that, you know, love hunting. Um, but heck, now, like, I'm already worried about bears and mountain lions when I go out. I don't know. I'm, I'm probably just kind of a, a sissy. I remember one camping trip with my my buddy, um, where we hiked up, and we did it after dark. We hiked to a camping spot, and literally every bush, it was like, bear, bear. It was, we were terrified. Um, so, yeah, 
So now one more thing to worry about, right? So, uh, but anyway, uh, so all of that, right? And I'm really concerned about the polarization and division that I see in our nation right now. You know, to help you understand kind of where our nation is right now, I, I, uh, a pat, another pastor I respect shared these stats, and I thought I'd share them, pass them on to you. So at this point, only 17 Americans say they are proud of the state of our country. This is just real recent data. 71% of Americans say they are angry about the state of our country. 80% say the United States is out of control. Anybody feel like that? You're like, we're not raising our hands in church. We don't trust you. We get called on, right? 80% of the nation. Um, in, listen to this. This is intriguing. In 1964, 77% of Americans said they trusted the federal government to do the right thing most of the time. 20 years or 30 years later, by 1994, that number was down to 20%. Only 20%. Dropped incredibly, right? And now in, in 2020, um, or in 1997 actually, 64% of Americans said they had a good deal of trust in the political competence of their fellow citizens. Like you might not agree with them, but trust at least you know, you know what you're, you're looking at. In 2020, only 33% of Americans trust in the political competence of their fellow Americans, which means that most of the country thinks their neighbors are incompetent to think critically when it comes to issues that govern our nation, right? Can you just feel the division in our nation? Um, in fact, for Gen Z, and that's for, for those that are in their early 20s, you know, down to teenagers right now, 90%, according to the statistic, have zero trust that politicians will do the right thing. That's wild, isn't it? 90%. And so that kind of gives you a feel for, I mean, really where, when it, when it comes to the governance of our nation where a lot of people are. And, and here's the truth. Here, today, I don't have a quick solve for all this. I don't have five easy points that'll get us back on track as a nation and bring us all together, right? I don't have a solve for the polarization or division right now, but, but here's what I have. I have some thoughts from the scriptures that I think will help you move with faith and hope and confidence in Jesus into this next season, whatever this next season brings. And those of you that are young in the room, let me just say, if you didn't live through the year 2000, you never know what the next month will bring, okay? Let, let me just say that. You just don't know. But if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, I, I think if we all got this, I think it would make a massive difference in our nation and our world. And so I have five different things, and I'm just going to dive right in today. But I have five different thoughts that I think uh, might help you navigate what you're thinking and what you're feeling in this season. And so you may want to write these down just in case one of them or have your phone handy um, to take a picture or something. If one of these things really strikes you, 
um, and come back to it a little bit later. But I think when you, when you look at where so many people are at with just feeling a sense of anxiety, in fact, is anybody just feeling a little stressed? A little anxious? Yeah. It's okay. You can, you can admit it. It's church. It's good not to lie in church or anywhere, but... <laughs> and so I think these things, these thoughts, these scriptures, um, Lord willing, will really give you some encouragement here. And the first thing is this. That when we look at the nation and when we look at circumstances where we are heading in ways that we don't, we don't know where we're heading, right? Um, it often produces anxiety. And one of the most important and critical things to remember is this, that our hope and destiny is in God's kingdom. That's the first thing I have for you. Our hope, our destiny is in God's kingdom. Paul says this, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. That's, that's a powerful image, that, that our citizenship is in heaven with Jesus, right? And Jesus has the power to bring everything under his control. And ultimately, he finishes this, it will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. In other words, our citizenship is, our, our true citizenship is in heaven. In fact, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and I think during political seasons and times, it's so easy to get this out of whack in our lives and begin to um, misplace our citizenship. Now, here's, uh, Peter ex explains it this way. Right at the very beginning of one of his letters, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of all these different um, areas in the Roman Empire. Exiles. He, de he describes believers as exiles, which is really an interesting picture. Where that picture comes from is in ancient Israel, right? Where ancient Israel is hauled out of the land of Israel to Babylon, and they're exiles in the land. And so Peter, as he writes to all these new followers of Jesus who are in Rome, he refers to us as exiles. In other words, the truth is, this world is not our ultimate home. Like, you, you're a citizen here, and you're called to be a good one, and we'll talk about that in a minute. You're a citizen here, but your ultimate citizenship is in the kingdom of God and in heaven. It's like being a dual citizenship. I, we've got some missionary friends, um, and their daughter was born in Thailand, right? And so she has two passports. She has, she's a Thai citizen because she was born there, but her mom and dad were born in the USA, so she is a citizen of the U.S. Now, here's the thing. Even though she was born in Thailand, her identity really is going to primarily lie where her parents are from, right? Because that's where your parents are from. Now, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are a child of God. And that's where your identity should be found. Like we, the song we just sing, you are a child of God. And that's where your citizenship is. You have, in a sense, a dual citizenship. You were born here. You have a passport here. But you're a child of God. 
And your identity is there. And here's the thing. It's good to care about your country. It's good to be engaged in working for the good of your country and, and, you know, and to be engaged in the issues and all these things. It's good to speak up, right? Just don't let your hope be in your, in your country. Don't let your hope be found there, right? Because what? Our, our hope and our destiny is in God's kingdom. And if you get that mixed up, and, if you, and really, when, you, when we start feeling so much anxiety when it comes to especially political issues, oftentimes the anxiety is there. And, and a lot of it is very justified when you look at different policies and platforms and you begin to be concerned about things, right? I, I'm not saying those aren't important or don't matter. I'm just saying if you, if you lose sight of where your ultimate hope is in as a follower of Jesus, you're off base. And you're going to find yourself living in a lot of unnecessary anxiety and fear, right? Okay, so that's number one. Number two, our enemy is not the person across the street. I know what yard sign they have in their yard, but they're, they're not your enemy. You're like, you don't know my neighbor. Okay, granted, maybe I'm wrong on this, right? But let's just say I'm wrong. What does Jesus say to do for your enemy? Hmm, let's see. How about love your enemy? Do good to those that hate you. Love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you, right? Now, let me just say, um, whatever, whatever side of the aisle you are, whatever your neighbors, you know, what crazy neighbors you have, and this would be a great week to bring something, somebody the op with the opposite yard sign, you know, some cookies. It would just be a really good week to do that. I'm just saying. As a, uh, as a follower of Jesus, right? People across the street, listen, listen, people, this is, listen, I love you and you got to hear this. People are not the enemy, people are the mission field. People are not the enemy, people are those we've been called to love and serve and influence toward Jesus. And it's so easy. Many of you have even family members that there's a lot of tension in this season right now in your life. I mean, if this with, with you know, COVID and lockdowns and all the craziness all year, if that wasn't enough, <laughs> then it's election year, right? And many of you have real tensions and you got to really stay grounded in this, that, that those people are not your enemy. They're the people you've been called to love. Now, this doesn't mean you don't use wisdom. Hey, listen, it's raining. That's great. We need it. It doesn't mean that you don't use wisdom. It doesn't mean as Christians we just bury our head in the sand and go, la, 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 everything's fine. Love, 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 peace. (laughs) Right? It doesn't mean that. Jesus said, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. In other words, when somebody looks at you, they're not going to look at you and fault you, but it says be wise. Because we know not everyone has great motives. We, We know that. So be shrewd as serpents. In other words, be wise. Don't be a fool when it comes to relating to others. Understand not everyone has the, your best interest at heart, right? So it's not that you bury your head in the sand. 
Christians aren't called to do that. But you are called to live your life in such a way that when somebody else looks at you, um, if they're accusing you, it's, it's falsely, right? Because you're as innocent as a dove. In fact, Romans, uh, Paul says this in Romans 12. He says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Now, I think this is such a powerful scripture because he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, and as many of you know, sometimes you've done what you can do, right? But sometimes otherwise, if you're honest as you look at your life, you haven't done everything you can do to live at peace with those in your circle, right? But as far as, as, far as um, it's concerned, as far as, um, it, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That in our individual relationships, in those, in our circles of influence, in our work, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our families, we should be characterized as people who are working towards peace in our relationships. It just, it, that should be something that characterizes us, right? Doesn't mean you don't have opinions, state your opinions, stand up for your opinions, stand up for what you think is right. No, but it means as far as you're concerned, you are moving in a way that's working to live in peace with those that God has placed in your life. As far as it depends on you, do your best. And I think around this, there's one other really important thing when it comes to people that we need to think through and remember. Because people aren't the enemy, right? The person across the street isn't the enemy. Um, but there is an enemy. And this is something I really believe. There is an enemy. Peter says this, Be alert and of a sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And the Scripture is really clear that there are two kingdoms, ultimately. There's God's kingdom, and there's the kingdom of darkness. And that there are real spiritual beings and real spiritual forces that are not good, that are not glorifying to God, that don't serve the one true God. In fact, a great book to read, if you haven't ever read it, is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis that, that really um, digs into the activity and the strategies and the schemes of the enemy and trying to whisper in your ear and tell you lies and tell you you're not, wor- you're not worth God's love and, and to plant doubt and to plant fear and to plant anxiety to lie to you. And so there is a very real enemy. And that's something so important to remember when it comes to relating to those around us. Because if you don't, if all you are living on is just this physical realm, um, other people are going to do things and say things that you're like, I don't even know what you're thinking, right? And it's really easy to power up and try to attack um, a person as an enemy when you don't understand that, no, there is a spiritual enemy. And sometimes that spiritual enemy, sometimes Satan is influencing people in ways that are not godly, right? In ways that are not for the Lord. In fact, Paul says this, 1 Thessalonians 2.17, 
But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being, or when we were orphaned by being separated you, from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, he's talking, he's sending a letter to these people he hasn't seen in a long time, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Interesting, right? Um, There's a passage in Daniel where Daniel's praying, and he prays for days and days, and and, and then the angel comes to him and says, "I, I, I was dispatched the moment you started praying. But he met resistance, spiritual resistance. Interesting. We don't understand all this, right? But what we do understand is there is a real spiritual realm. There, there are things beyond what our eyeballs can see. And, and that spiritual realm is trying to influence people. And so it's so important to remember, people are not the enemy. The person across the street isn't the enemy. But there is an enemy. And that's good to keep in mind. Now, the third thing is this. God is sovereign and yet calls us to pray and work for his will on earth. Does anybody, has anybody else just felt this weird conundrum when it comes to prayer of like, God, if you're in control, why do I pray? Anybody have felt like that? Thought like, oh, just, just one of you, okay. Just, just, <laughs> just me and Tad, that's all. The rest of you are so much more enlightened. God is sovereign. Sovereign means God rules over the affairs of the earth. That, that nothing that God does not uh, permit happens, essentially. That's, that's the idea behind the sovereignty of God, right? And yet he calls us to pray and work for his will on earth. Now, I, w- I want to illustrate this. Because when it comes to um, living our lives in our nation that we've been blessed to live in. I mean, this is an amazing nation to live in, right? We've been blessed to live in. We get really uptight and wound up about politicians and different things. Um, But God is sovereign. In fact, here's what the scriptures say. Now, Daniel, but you know Daniel? Lion's Den, Daniel, dude, you heard about him Sunday school? Yeah. Daniel's hauled off into exile. He is is a... um, you know, a very intelligent, wise man, and he's hauled off into exile by Babylon, right? So he's hauled off into exile in Babylon. The, it's a horrible time. I mean, imagine living there. Imagine somebody, uh, you know, Canada came down, and you never know. It's 2020. <clears throat> imagine Canada invaded us, you know, and hauled us up. And they just came in and, and they left like the poorest of the poor in the land, but they took all, all the college students and the, you know, all the business people and all the doctors and lawyers and, and, and everybody and took them up to the nation and made them eat maple syrup and <laughs> the whole thing. And so you're in exile now in Canada, right? So anyway, Daniel's in that situation and the king, Nebuchadnezzar, I, I <clears throat> Now, the king Nebuchadnezzar, he, he, one night he has this dream, Nebuchadnezzar, powerful ruler, powerful king. And so he has this dream and it freaks him out. He sees this you know, huge statue, it freaks him out. And so he calls all his astrologers in, all these like cultic astrologers to come in and interpret 
his dream. And they come on in. He's like, I had this horrible dream last night. They're like, no problem. Just tell us your dream, and, and we'll give you an interpretation. No problem. We got this. And Neb, <clears throat> he goes, no, um, you tell me the dream, and then interpret it. Or, now listen to this, or I'll cut you into pieces and turn your houses into piles of rubble. Now, however bad you think whatever politician is in this country, yeah, they're not net, right? I'll cut you into pieces and turn your houses into piles of rubble. And so this is terrifying for this whole group of people because they're like, what? We can't tell you your dream. You have to, that doesn't work that way, right? And so they all like come together and Daniel... In the middle of the night, it says this, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven. I bet he did, right? And he said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Now listen, he changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. See, this is part of the sovereignty of God that you see over and over in Scripture. Hey, guess what? God uses kings and rulers and authorities for his purposes and in his times and in his ways. When God says he's done with them, he's done with them. God's not done with them, he's not done with them. Right? And then this, this passage, as Daniel goes on, he, he tells the dream, God reveals this dream to Daniel in, a, in the night. So he tells the uh, Nebuchadnezzar, exactly what the dream was. And Neb is like mind blown, right? He says this, Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet of partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, this is cool, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay, and smash them. And then Daniel goes on to say, you king, you're, you're the head of gold. That represents a kingdom. That's you, Babylon. Powerful. Most powerful nation in the world. But you're not going to be forever. After you, these other kingdoms are coming. There's going to be the Medes and Persians, which happens shortly after this. They come in. Um, I don't have time to tell the story, but it's amazing. They come in. Babylon is conquered. On the night, well, okay, it's a cool story. On the night they're partying, they're having this crazy party to their false god. The, the Medes and the Persians come in and they drain, they, they dam up the, the river. And then the, as the water level comes down, they go under the gate. And before anyone knows it in Babylon, the Medes and the Persians come in and, and overtake the city. It's astounding victory. No one would have ever thought this powerful nation could fall. Daniel knew that. And so you have these kingdoms, right? You have Babylon. You have the Medes and Persians. After that, the bronze, which represents the Greeks. And after that, iron, which is the metal of what empire? Rome. Now, keep in mind, this prophecy... This dream given by God, this prophecy of Daniel was 600 years before Jesus. Hundreds of years before the Roman Empire. Right? 
And then in verse 44, this is, this is what, what he promises. In the times of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure how long? Forever. 600 years later, Jesus would come onto the scene. And he would, would look at everybody and he'd go, the kingdom of God is upon you. It's in your midst. Jesus comes and he initiates the kingdom of God. He introduces the kingdom of God, which won't come in fullness till he returns. But like a mustard seed, he says, it's going to start really small, but it's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow. He looks at his disciples gathered around and he goes, I will, I will build my church or my gathering, my assembly, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let me just ask you, where's Babylon? Gone. Where's the, the media, media Persian Empire? Yeah, I think they've been gone for a long time too. Rome? Yeah, it's been quite a while. It's been quite a while. Hasn't it? But, but you and I are here today. 2,000 years after Jesus prophesied that. God is sovereign. He is sovereign, and he uses various nations and kings and leaders for various purposes in his plan, and we don't always know what that is. But what we can trust is that he is in control. He is sovereign. And yet, this is interesting, because he calls us to pray and work towards his will on the earth. How many of you have ever, like, in a moment, felt burdened to pray for someone or a situation, and then later found out there was something like significant going on. I want to see your hands raised on this one. Look around. Like, keep them up. Because I don't think that's a coincidence. Look around. Serious. Like, like, there's a ton of hands up. Almost everybody. That's amazing. Is that just a coincidence? I don't think so. My dad had this crazy experience. I've told it before, but it's such an amazing story. I'm going to tell it again. Um, back, uh, I think, he was a professor in Alaska years ago. And in his mind, as he's praying one day, he sees, this is before big screen TVs, um, he sees a big screen TV in his head, and it says, pray for Robert. And so he's like, whoa, that's crazy. So he prays for Robert. Doesn't know what it's all about. Later, I, I don't know if it was the next day or a couple days later, he finds out one of the other Christian professors saw the exact same thing but the, the thing he saw in his mind on the big screen TV said, go see Robert. And so he went right away, and he, and he went to see Robert. And Robert, one of the college students, um, Native American uh, college students, was in his room with a gun and the gas pipe off, preparing to probably do something that would both end his life and possibly others as well. And this professor was able to speak to him and stop the situation and pray with him. That's kind of unexplainable, isn't it? Why did God need my dad to pray for Robert? I don't know. 
But he says in his word that the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. If God raises up kings and deposes kings and leaders, why does he need you to pray? It's a mystery to us, isn't it? But in Scripture, we see both God's revealed will and we see the idea of God's sovereign purpose or his plan. And this is an important thing to understand. Not everything that happens on earth is God's will. In other words, his revealed will. Not everything that happens on earth is the heart of God. Let's put it that way. There's two Greek words. One of them is tholema. And really, we see this translated as God's will throughout Scripture. It, it conveys the idea of desire or a heart's desire, right? And then there's another word, boule. And it conveys the idea, of God, the idea of God's counsel or a decision or his plan or his purpose. And here's the thing. When God has purposed something, nothing thwarts it. Which is why he says, guess what? These kingdoms are coming. I've seen it all in advance. I will raise up kings and I will take kings out and they will serve my ultimate purposes on this earth. He is sovereign. And yet Jesus comes along and he says, I want you to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, which is a cry of our heart, which understands not everything going on around us is God's will. That he wants us to be involved, that he wants us to be seeking and praying and working to see his heart manifested in this world, right? So we pray, we fast, we speak out respectfully, we act in this world. Understanding God's sovereignty is not a fatalism of saying that everything happens is the way it's supposed to be. No. It's this interesting interplay between us praying and being part of the action and then in the end, trusting God and going, okay, you're sovereign, right? Um, when we pray, because of God's sovereignty and the fact that he's called us to pray and act, um, there's a time, when we pray, there's a time to act and pray, and there's a time to go, okay, and move on, right? There's, there's a couple interesting things in the Bible. King David, uh, his child is dying, and he prays, he fasts, he cries out to God for, for days. And then his child dies. And you know what he did? His servants were like, if he was that upset before this happened, what will happen now? David got up, took a shower, went and worshipped God, came back and said, hey, what's for dinner? And they're like, what? See, David had an understanding that our prayers, our fasting, fasting, that's going without food, a meal, or fasting something um, that brings comfort or pleasure, maybe entertainment, um, it's powerful. David understood this. But he under, also understood that God is sovereign and there's a time and place where you pray and you fast and then there's a time where you go, okay, and you move on, right? And so David knew that. Jesus, in the garden, prayed, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Jesus. And then he prayed, but not my will, but your will be done. Paul had three seasons of intense prayer regarding some sort of, we believe, a, a physical ailment that tripped him up, right? 
and he got a no. He prayed three seasons intensely, and at the end of it, God said, "Um, I'm not going to actually answer that prayer, but my grace is sufficient for you. And so he moves on. Okay, you've got this. I'm going to move on. So we pray fervently. We pray without ceasing. We pray until we get a decision. And we move on. And how do you know when it's time to let it go and move on in your heart? I think if you're a person of prayer, um, you will just have a sense when you know it's time to stop praying. Right? So when it comes to things in our nation, lean in. Pray. And then when you, when you feel God release that, it's okay to move on. Number four, we are called to work for the good of this, of the place where he's planted us. We're called to work for the good of the place where he's planted us. And this is so powerful. Um, in exile, remember Daniel and a bunch of other peoples hauled off most of the nation of Israel. Only a few of the poorest of the poor were left to work the vineyards. The rest of them hauled off to exile, and it says by, um, I can't remember the river's name, by the river they sat and wept as they thought about their homes and ate their maple syrup in Canada. They said, it's so cold up here. All right, that's us, not them. But in exile, here, here is the word of the Lord to them through the prophet Jeremiah. It says this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, said to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is God's word. Hey, you guys eating the maple syrup, shivering over there. Listen up. I got a word for you. Don't miss this. Here's what I want you to do. I know this isn't the ideal situation you hoped of. I know this wasn't what you dreamed of when you were a kid. This is actually going to be kind of hard. I know you lost a lot, right? But here's what he tells them to do. Here's what I want you to do. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. In other words, I want you to start businesses. I want you to go to school. I want you to buy property. You're going to be here a while. Now, here's what I know. Um. Anytime we feel like there's a tension in our, in our future, we start thinking, man, Jesus could come back any minute. And you know what? That's a good way to live. But an interesting thing, when somebody asked Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, what would you do if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? He says, I'd plant a tree. Stop and think about that. See, here's the truth. We're called to occupy until he comes. You're called to plan for your life. You're called to plan for the future. You're called to invest in your future. You're called to build things, plant things, grow things. That's what he calls you to do. He goes on, marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your son and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. I want you to get married, have babies, make more kids, more 
followers of me. That's what he says. And, and here's the other thing, and this is a very normal thing to think. When, it, when you look at, like, oh, I think times may get, be getting tough, right? And, and it's easy to start thinking, like, man, I don't know if I want to bring kids into this world. You're thinking like that. In Babylon, in Canada, <clears throat> no, sorry. in Babylon, God says, no, don't think that way. Think of, think of uh, if everyone back, you know, in the early church, and they did really think Jesus was coming back soon. That's the way he's called us to live, actually. There is an ambiguity because we're called to live with this idea. He could come back any minute. And we should be living our lives like that, like he could come back any minute. But then we're also called to think long term, to plan long term, to think generationally. To think, how does my generation bless the next generation? And how 10 generations down the road are there more sold-out followers of Jesus? You know how that happens? When you get married and have some babies and you raise them up in the knowledge of Jesus. And you encourage them to follow Jesus. And generation after generation of followers of Jesus that's what he tells them to do. And here's how this ends. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city where I have carried you. In other words, I think, like, get involved. Daniel becomes, like, basically the second in command. He, he's brought, uh, some of these exiles are brought up into incredible places of influence in the kingdom, right? And the prophet says, I want you to seek the peace and the prosperity of this place. Yes, you're a follower of Jesus and your citizenship is in heaven. And yet while you're here, seek the peace and prosperity of the place you've been called to. Get involved. Are you worried about what your kids are being taught in school? You should be. Get involved. Join the board. Run for the school board. Get involved in local government. Government. You concerned about the way you see the county going? Get involved. Get in, you know, get in the clubs and the things that are actually shaping the direction that our, that our city is going. You can make the most difference locally. You can potentially, you know, your vote counts, all that. That's true. Um, yeah, I'll move on. Um, just, just move on. Where was I? My mind, sometimes it just spins off. And you, you, you know, you can have an influence nationally. But the most influence you're probably going to have is in your circle of influence and in this town, in this community that God has planted you in. I, I was so proud. I, I, two of our new county commissioners, I know them personally. They, they don't go to church here, but they love Jesus with all their hearts. And they're going to make wise, good decisions that are going to benefit everybody in this community. I'm proud of them. They, they left um, businesses and took some major 
pay cuts, at least one of them, right, to, to do this. I'm proud of that. We occupy till he comes. We seek the welfare of the community. We get involved at every level possible for the sake of everybody, not just for followers of Jesus. But when the community prospers, guess what? You'll prosper too, right? So we are called to work for the good of the place where he's planted us. And then this is the last thing. Because he's got it, we can move forward with peace. I want to call Winston up right now. Guess what, guys? He's sovereign. He's got it. No matter where it all ends up, he is in control. And it's an important thing to remember, especially when you start feeling that anxiety. I'm preaching to myself here this week, guys. Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He can handle it. He's got it. Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Remember, he is writing from prison in a Roman prison cell. Not a Canadian prison cell. That would be a lot better. A Roman. He's in chains. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Wow. He says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, be thankful, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you stand? We're going to close with a song, and as we do, I just want to, um, I want to invite you to cast your cares on him because he cares for you. That if you are feeling anxious in this season, I just want to invite you as you sing this song, maybe you don't normally do this, but just stretch your hands out in a posture of receiving. There's nothing like magical about it, but it's just a physical posture that says, I want to receive from you, God. Maybe that's where you are. Um, Would you just express, maybe you're not even going to sing, but maybe you just are going to take a moment and you've been so anxious and wound up for all the whole week or maybe like three months, I don't know. You've been just so, like you're you're like a tight spring, like getting ready to pop, right? right? And you just need to breathe. Say, God, I trust you. I trust you. I give you my care. I give you my anxiety. I trust you. You're in control. You've got this. Now, let me just say, um, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, whatever you're placing your hope in in this world will disappoint. And so I want to give you an opportunity, whether you're here in the room or you're, you're joining us online here, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus because he is your only ultimate source of hope. And so I'm going to invite you just to pray after me. And there's nothing magic about this prayer. It's just an expression of the heart. Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died and rose again. 
I want to give my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sin. I want to live my life for you. Father, would you give me the peace that surpasses all understanding? I place my trust fully in you. Let's sing and I'll come back up and pray first. Lord, we just declare that together here, Lord, that we choose to trust you. Lord, sometimes trust is a choice. So we say we choose to trust you in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. We choose to trust you with this nation that we love. Lord, we love you. We trust you. Thank you for the peace that you promise when we place our trust in you, Lord. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.